Before we begin, just a warning, this podcast discusses child abuse. I'm Willow. I'm the CEO of Safeguarding Children here in New Zealand, and I'm passionate about preventing child abuse and ensuring that we do all we can to get children the help they need early. I believe that child abuse is preventable, not inevitable. I'm particularly interested in creating child-safe organisations. I have over 35 years' experience working with children, families and the very people in positions of trust who work and volunteer in roles of children. I'm going to be sharing my child safeguarding insights with you and introduce you to some of the incredible people I meet in my role who work tirelessly to protect and advocate for our most vulnerable citizens. I wish I didn't need to be talking about preventing child abuse. I wish that all children were safe, but sadly, that's not the case. So before you think this isn't the podcast for me, remember, we're all stakeholders. We were all children once and we've all experienced childhood. Corny as it sounds, children are our future. All of us as adults will be parents or have friends or family who are children. Some of you will be frontline workers who want to learn how to keep other people's children safe. So join me on each episode because knowledge is powerful and I know that together we will make a difference. Kia ora, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Um, You've got an incredibly interesting role and uh, I think it'll be fascinating for many people out there. So do you want to introduce yourself um, and tell us about what you do and um, the the organisation that you work for and some of the incredible things that you and your team do to keep children safe? Absolutely. Kia ora. Well, thank you for having me here and uh, giving me the opportunity to to be a part of this. Um, yeah, so my name's Tim Houston, so I'm, I'm the manager of the Department of Internal Affairs Digital Child Exploitation Team. Um, so I've been with the department for about eight years, and prior to that I worked for the New Zealand Customs Service. I was there for about 11 years, uh, nine of which were spent in the investigations arena, and I specialised often to um, online child exploitation investigations during my time there. Um, and yeah, that's all I've done uh, since working at DIA. Um, So my team is a relatively small team, but um, a very high um, performing unit. So we have uh, myself and 11 staff at the moment, and we cover the whole of New Zealand. Um, But we also have quite a lot of work that we do with our partners internationally. So the focus um, of my team is obviously digital child exploitation. uh, And we get the mandate to investigate Uh, and prosecute people who are dealing in that material from a piece of legislation, it's a bit of a mouthful, the Films, Videos and Publications Classification Act 1993. (laughs) 1993. Um, So this this act sets out what in New Zealand is objectionable um, and therefore illegal. Um, It also deals with age-restricted material and classification of of things um, such as you know, what were DVDs and VHS and, All right, yeah. and um, magazines, etc. Um, but as the internet has come online, we've had to specialise quite heavily into where the most harm is, and for us that is the sexual exploitation of children. So the Act sets out what is objectionable, and that includes, um, you know, material that promotes or supports or tends to promote or support 
the exploitation of children or young persons persons for a sexual purpose. Right. So that's um, that's how we get the I guess the powers to investigate people that are dealing in that. So we generally focus on uh, the key areas of focus are people that possess the material, so possess imagery that depicts child sexual exploitation and abuse, or that they're distributing it, so they're sending it to other people, mm. or um, they're creating it. So right. obviously to create uh, objectionable publications depicting children, generally it means that a sexual violation of a child has had to have occurred. Um, so those are generally our main focus areas in the enforcement and investigation space. So the penalties for people that possess material is 10 years and for distributing and creating material it's about 14 years imprisonment is right. a maximum penalty. Those so it's seen as a really serious crime, isn't it? It is, yeah. it absolutely is. And the, the, reason, the reason why is because uh, it's not it's not pornography like often you'll hear mm. people refer to child pornography yeah it, that couldn't be further from the truth yeah the, the, the material we're dealing with depicts a crime scene yeah it actually it, does yeah I think people get you hear people using the term child pornography and um, people who are um, involved in pornography they're acting um, and these are real children, aren't they? That's right. Being abused live on camera. Yes, that's 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 right. And you know, um, pornography is is uh, generally a you know a consenting act mm. between two adults, whereas what we're talking about here are children and young persons. They can't give consent to engage in sexual activity, um, and it's basically a recording of a of a sexual offence against a child. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, it, when it ends up on the internet, it's it's very very hard to remove, and it may be there for the the whole life of a child victim. So it's incredibly serious material. Um, like I say, every every one of these images or videos actually depicts a crime scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the team itself um, is split um, into some specialisations. So everybody uh, in the um, substantive role as an investigator or senior investigator but we have some specialization particularly in the form of victim identification right so that takes the shape of material so a image or movie file that comes to our attention our victim ID staff analyze that and look for visual clues and um, metadata that may be present in the material to try and locate either the offender which would hopefully lead on to locating the victim or just to make try and get an identification of the victim. So just to explain what metadata is. So that uh, when when a digital image or movie file is created, so somebody takes a picture on their phone or records a video on a, a video camera, for example, it does the um, embed some extra information into the the recording. So that may just be as simple as the time and date that the that the image was taken, for example. But um, for us, that's you know something that we can use to try and at, at, a, at its most simple level isolate mm. the date that yeah. the, or you know the year that Im, um, image was taken so so little things like that it can be quite helpful uh, when it comes to victim identification and how often are you are these images passed i mean how common is this term well unfortunately um, our, the volume of material we see year on year increases um, if i use the the statistics around the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children um, 
the referrals that we get from them. They're a US-based uh, not-for-profit organisation. Uh, we yeah, we had 11,000 referrals last year just for New Zealand. Um, me. So when it comes to um, trying to um, you know, identify the risk and all of that, it's, it is extremely difficult and it's one of the big challenges that we face. But that number, uh, we've, we've been working with uh, NICMIC, that's their, their abbreviation. We've been working with NICMIC for a number of years and every single year there is an increase in the number of referrals that we get from them. So is that people that are in possession of um, these materials or is that um, these images that are actually produced in New Zealand? So normally uh, the referral will be, uh, it's generated as a result of somebody uploading something to a, a US-based electronic service provider. Right. So all of the, the major entities um, have to report instances of child exploitation material on their networks or their systems to NICMIC. Yeah. And NICMIC takes the report, they analyse the material and make a determination about which country it needs to go to. So normally uh, it's an action where a New Zealand based user has uploaded something to one of these electronic service providers right? and it's triggered, it's, it's detected that, it, that what they've uploaded is um, child exploitation material and therefore it triggers a report back to us. So we then, my team will take these reports and investigate them. Um, which can take the form of, uh, you know, like a full investigation, search warrants being executed at a, um, a suspect's house, us seizing all of their electronic devices and other evidence, and then doing forensic examinations of those devices to find further evidence um, before we lay charges, you know, criminal charges in court. So, um, so yeah, so the NICMIC referrals, are, they've been mm. a steady, um, well, sorry, not a steady, but a consistent thing for us for a number of years so it's actually a really good guide for us as to yeah. what the landscape is doing. So that's where the referrals come in it's, it, and do you ever get any where um, somebody's found images on a computer or a laptop do you um, have those referrals as well and how common are they? Yes we do uh, we have referrals coming from all over the place so we have so my team will receive referrals directly from members of the public so they can email um, our our unit directly and make a, a complaint or a report. Um, uh, other people will go through the main DIA website and there's a section there where they can make a report about objectionable content that um, gets directed to my team. Um, and sometimes it will be re referrals from other organisations um, domestically with our partners at Police and Customs mm. or all over the world. So we're very well networked um, internationally. So we work with um, pretty much all of the Five Eye uh, countries and their respective child exploitation units, as well as Interpol and Europol. So we, um, as a as a you know an international group, uh, focusing on this crime type, we're regularly sharing information and, right. and passing referrals to each other. Um, so yeah, so we get referrals from all sorts of um, avenues, and again, it's the the challenge is you know you have that bucket of, of information coming in and then you have the referrals from NICMIC coming in mm. and our main priority is trying, we have to find the, where the highest risk lies and for us that looks like um, a, a child that's actually being currently abused and new material right. of that has been generated because 
although there's material being produced, there's also a child that's been sexually violated to generate that. So we're trying to find those instances where we can actually identify a real-world victim mm. um, and, and make an um, interdiction. And do you have a situation where um, the images are looked at and you think that's definitely New Zealand? Yes. Right. Yes. That's, so that's um, a big focus of our victim identification investigator. So her role is to, to look for instances exactly like that. So when we, for um, uh, example, when we go out and execute a search warrant and we um, forensically copy the all of the data off the mm. suspect's devices, that information is then put into specialised software that produces um, uh, a relatively user-friendly interface where we can see all of the imagery in that collection. Right. So the victim ID staff will sit there and analyse all of that material looking for either unknown or unidentified victims. And if it's New Zealand, then obviously we'll launch an investigation. If it's if we find that and it looks indicative that it's from offshore, then we'll get in touch with the appropriate law enforcement agency and pass all of that information to them. And what type of things identify the location? Is it to do with like the background scenes and, you know, things that are yeah in the background like yeah. a packet of biscuits or something that yep. are a you know a brand that is known in exactly. those types of things it's exactly right it could be anything it could be anything in, in in the background of an image or the um the way somebody speaks yeah or the, the accents and those accents types of things is, is, a, is an interesting one um it, it could be anything that any visual clues that you can take from that, um, you know, there's been uh, well sort of publicised over the years uh, victim identification operations that have started with, um, you know, like an audio enhancement and they can uh, determine that there's a, a certain ad playing on a TV in the oh, background right, somewhere. Yeah. So you can't even see the TV. So um, when you go and issue your warrant, mm -hmm. um, people would imagine that, that, you know, there's a certain look of somebody that, you know, creates this material or views this material. Um, what, what, who are they, these types of people? Do you ever go into a house and these people have got children and their own children are there? Just how does, what does that look like? Are, are you ever surprised by the, or does nothing surprise you anymore, Tim? Nothing surprises me anymore, unfortunately. Uh, look, it's very diverse. It, there's no, there's no one group um, that you can sort of, uh, I guess, silo to say that's your stereotypical mm. offender. It is extremely diverse. Um, apart from the fact that it's like ninety nine percent of the time it's a male. Right. Um, uh, we do have uh, some instances where it's a female offender, but it's quite rare. Um, yeah, but a very diverse group of. Um, of offender um, and so yeah we've my team has experienced um, the whole spectrum so you know walking into um, you know just a, a garage that someone's living in right through to executing search warrants and you know very very nice neighborhoods and everything in between so I think it talks to the fact that the internet as it is has um, you know child exploitation materials been around since people could record things mm. um, uh, but the internet has certainly in my opinion made it a lot easier for people to access this material and share it yeah. and, and people are able to network a lot easier 
um, like even when I worked at customs, we would sometimes still seize the odd magazine being shipped into the country yeah. or DVD or VCR. Um, that's that you know, there's no need to do that anymore. People can access this material online, unfortunately. So what that means is that if people have got a sexual interest in children, um, doesn't matter who they are or as long as they've got an internet connection mm. and an internet capable device, they can find the material. So what that looks like in reality is a very diverse mm. group of offenders. Yeah. And so I've heard you speak previously about the dark net. Mm-hmm. Um, and as somebody who only just manages Google, the... Um, yeah, what is the dark net? You hear people talk about the dark net all the, all the time, and I think to myself, where is it? Like, what is the yeah. dark net? Because I've never seen anything that makes me think that that that's the dark net. So just explain about that. Yeah. And also, um, do you know how it actually enables this? How it, um, yeah, how how the dark net enables. Yeah. The um for for this to go on and harm children. Yeah. So um, I'm not technical by any means, but I know enough um, to be dangerous, I guess. Um, so you essentially have um, three sort of different types of internet. So you have the clear net or open net. So that's when um, those are websites that can be indexed by the likes of Google as a search yeah. engine or, mm. or Bing. So that's the type of website that you or I could sit here and go straight to now yeah. um, and, and, and you can access it. So that accounts for a um, significant proportion of the internet but um, not as much as the next level which I believe is called the deep net. So that's websites and um, uh, domains that can't be indexed. So that's your, like your private, um, you know, uh, uh, work enterprise where a member of the public can't see, you know, banking systems oh, and right. yeah. those sort of things. So that that's actually the biggest chunk, I think, of the internet. Yeah. So it's it's there, and but it's it's not publicly accessible because it relates to business requirements yeah. and, and those sort of things. Yeah. And then uh, from there, then you have the dark net, which is um, it's not indexed, so there's no search engine that can index it and, and put it into a nice searchable mm. format. Uh, you have to install specialised or specialist software to um, or download programs to actually be able to access it. Oh, right, so it's with intention. Somebody's seeking to access the yes. darkness. Generally, there's a few user-defined steps to, to access it. Um, and, and I think what people forget too is that the... Um, Probably the most popular form of the dark net was actually, you know, created as a secure battlefield communication platform by the U.S. military. So, oh, right. And then it was, you know, it's found its way out and, mm. and to, into the public, and people have um, turned it into what it is now. Um, you know, they, they will tell you that there is some legitimate use for it in terms of um, regimes around the world that are, you know, oppressive and um, people that are seeking to speak freely and can't do that mm. for fear of retribution, etc. Journalistic privilege, those sort of things. But unfortunately, in our space, it, it has also made it a haven for criminal activity um, and particularly child exploitation. So, um, once a user has um, installed the right what they need to to access the the dark net, then um, it's a matter of needing to know where to go because again, it's not. Uh, it's not. There's no sort of public 
uh, link says to click here and you get to this website mm. you have to get in there and then you have to access directories and then from there so again real intention yes absolutely you don't just stumble across it that's Somebody's, right and so and i'd heard that literally on the dark net there are user guides of how to abuse children it's a bit like a university for people who want to sexually abuse children is that right yes yeah unfortunately there are there are yeah, there are manuals that um, instruct people how to commit sexual offenses against children and groom them um, and the websites or the sites themselves you know it's there's no they are solely created for one purpose and that is for people to congregate and just disseminate material you know child exploitation material to each other and network about um, child exploitation and sexual offending against children so there's no it's, it's immediately apparent what those websites are mm. for even at the the entry point into the site it'll have objectionable publications mm. depicting children on the on the so front page they're not so accidentally stumbling across no, it no not at all so as part of the work that you do and the international teams that you work with do you um ever pose as somebody that is um do you know abusing children somebody who's got that interest in it is that something you, i've read about that before where um do you know members of these teams will um, pretend to be a, a child abuser to um, gain access does is that does that happen is it yeah just talk to me about as much as you can about that yeah yeah no it's definitely a capability that has been uh, used internationally for a number of years uh, it's a technique that if used correctly in terms of um, uh, not uh, enticing a person to do something that they wouldn't mm. otherwise have done for example um, can be a really really successful mm. tool um, but it is just it is just another tool that yeah. um, can be used but certainly um, a method that has been used you know around the world for a number mm. of years to, to really really good effect yeah in um, uh, and, and in New Zealand as well um, but yeah it's and it's one of those things where I think as encryption, uh, and encrypted platforms become more common, the mm. ability for uh, law enforcement agencies to be in there, you know, engaging with yeah. an offender um, will become even more important um, as, as platforms become encrypted because traditional methods of detection, you know, detecting uh, CC material will be lessened. So having staff that are actually in there uh, and, and making those engagements and looking for the, the really high-risk offenders will be massively important. Okay. So one of the things that um, interests me as well, as, you know, as a parent myself, my children are older now, but, um, you know, what what signs do, do people... Do people have this image of what somebody sexually abuses children in this age, mm. uh, in, in situation, what, what they actually look like? Um, but from my experience, they just look like you and I. Mm. <laughs> um, they don't look like somebody that's a little bit weird or anything like that. Um, so what are the signs that you would say that as members of the public, we could look out for? And if we see something that we're concerned about, what do we do about it, Tim? Look, from the online perspective, if um, probably some of the key messages from my perspective are around knowing what your kids are doing online is massively important because 
uh, we are seeing quite an upswing in um, what's uh, called capping. So it's an, you know a um, abbreviation for you know capture. So people capturing a screen. So enticing a child to um, usually you know the offender will um, pose as a person of a similar age, so another child, oh, right. and entice them to send nude or sexually um, exploitive material to them, and then they capture the the screen and make and produce a recording of it that mm. often ends up being shared with other like-minded offenders. Um, so knowing what your kids are doing uh, is hugely important because that can sort of negate some of the risk around those types of situations. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of resources out there in New Zealand around how to monitor your child's activity online without being overbearing and still mm-hmm. giving them the freedoms to be learning and you know um, but it's more around reducing the risk of harmful sexual behavior online and supervision has obviously got a big part to play in that yeah because it's interesting because you wouldn't let your children just go and meet and socialize with people that you don't know as parents would you no um but um when children are on the internet i mean i didn't even realize that online games there's an ability to Mm. actually have chat functions and that type of thing luckily my children are at an age where they didn't um have any exposure to that but it's the reality for many of us as parents and children these days that you know the internet allows them to be exposed to um people who are strangers for want of a better word that you just wouldn't it wouldn't happen in the real world would Mm. it no um so and i you know i one of the things that I've always noticed is that you can be, I think as a parent, you are reassured by having your children in a close proximity. That's actually reassuring to mm. you as a parent and the child is reassured because you're in close proximity. Yeah. But that proximity could be the kitchen table, the sofa or the bedroom, because that's what they're on their yeah. computers or iPads, but they could be talking to somebody right next to you yeah somebody that you don't know or somebody who um you know wants to harm them and and i think that's one of the reasons why our um instinct to protect children the flags don't go up because they are actually physically close to us yes. but they're broadcast into the world that's aren't right they? that's absolutely right mm. yeah and it's just again that sort of you know um i guess educating our kids to um if they do make a mistake you know online and mm. they somebody does ask them to do something mm. just you know letting them know that it's okay to yeah come and tell us you know that it's you're not going to get in trouble no and you have just, have those conversations yeah. just like you would have conversations with the, with your children that's right mm. and it's a i mean another big part of the uh, prevention uh work that we've undertaken at dia was through our um design engagement and innovation group who ran the keep it real online campaign yeah um, which was, you know, really successful and a good way to get some of those sort of points across around mm. um, online harmful online yeah. behaviour, but in a really kiwi sort of way. Yeah, and they were great. Um, yeah, little promotional films and adverts, weren't they? They were. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's just so that style of um, trying to reach kids to be like, it's if this is happening, you know, it's okay to tell somebody mm. because then we can, as the adults, shoulder that responsibility and and try and help them through whatever's been happening. Um, I guess at, at it's the most severe level, we run into these situations where, um, you know, uh, really organised offenders are, 
you know, sextorting yeah. children or other people as well, other adults mm. as well. So really, really harmful situations like that that could be potentially avoided if you've, mm. if you've, parents are educated enough and the kids are educated enough to actually mm. come forward and say, I've got a problem. Yeah. And then, it, you know, it may mean that it gets passed off to the likes of um, law, law enforcement or investigation, mm. investigators in New Zealand who can actually go and do something about it mm. um, or, or internationally. So mm. And NetSafe as well. People can contact NetSafe, can't they? Yes, absolutely. Um, and pass on concerns to, um, to them as well. Yep. Um, later on in this podcast series, we're going to be talking to Anton. And Anton is the clinical lead of a, an organisation called STOP. And they work with people who've got a sexual interest in children. Um, and, to prevent, and from a prevention point of view, and also we're going to be talking with Fiona from Empowerment Trust about giving children the skills and um, to actually um, stop abuse or you know flag up that they need to speak to um, somebody and the work that Empowerment Trust do it also empowers parents as well so there are things that we can do um, just really curious because obviously you work on the very dark side um, what's it like with your own children how it do you how do you feel about your own children using the computer and that type of thing? Yeah, look, I, um, I'm okay with that. I think if, if, if people are, again, educated enough to know how to configure the settings and make sure that things are as safe as they can be before the, you know, the kids go and play you know, whatever they're going to play online, um, I think that's probably the best you can do. Um, and, you know, taking a sort of educated approach to it. Um, yeah, I guess I think the where it will get really interesting is those teenage, those formative mm. years where so much going on, you know, in, in sort of learning social skills and, the, you know, becoming young adults must be really challenging. Mm. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think it's just, a, again, going back to like it's, if you've put your best foot forward and you've locked things down as well as you can without sort of limiting them, you know, unnecessarily, uh, then, yeah, just having that, that backup of if mm. something does go down, mm. you know, be confident enough to come and tell us as, as, as your yeah, parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for sharing your story with us and introducing you, us to your amazing team. And um, for me, the prevention space that you work, you and your team is, you stop people from doing what they want to do. Um, and that ultimately protects hundreds of thousands and millions maybe of children worldwide from experiencing that abuse and one of the things that um, a take-home message for me is the fact that those children that are in those images are real children and um, they're not actors and they're being abused now and they might be other people's children and they might be in another country but other people's children matter and, and thank you for doing all that you do. Yeah no worries no that's um you're absolutely right, and the, the prevention, the prevention of this type of of um, offending is is key. Like we look at it in terms of these these educational prevention initiatives, mm. like like the Keep It Real Online campaign yeah. and other awareness campaigns that go on. Um, but the the work that we do as an investigation and enforcement team um, in dealing with offenders who, like we said earlier, may have kids at home, that's a form of prevention in itself absolutely. because we're in there making those interdictions and identifying risk and making referrals off to um, you know 
Oranga Tamariki, for example, um, that's a form of prevention in itself. So, um, yeah, and it just sort of highlights that the the it's got to be like a multifaceted approach mm. to this problem. Like, uh, you know, like we work in New Zealand with a number of agencies. It's the same internationally. We'll work with whoever we need to to get the get the job done and yeah. make sure that kids have been safeguarded where, where they need to be. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Remember, together we can make a difference. Indeed.